Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Returning today, a comedian, a documentarian, a psychedelic adventurer, a man of science, and above all else, the owner of a curious mind. His stand-up science live tour is in the midst of a 30-city tour. Hello, and welcome back, Shane Moss. Oh my goodness, what an intro. You really nail intros. How much, how much work do you put into that? That is, without a doubt, the loudest and... It, like most sustained volume I have put into using my voice because we're coming out of the holidays. I loved it. In, I would say, three solid weeks. That's the most. I got I got about a quarter of the way into that, and I was like... So you give the voice a break for the holidays. I, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but apparently that yeah. is what I was oh, doing. Oh, you were bringing the energy. That was... I I wish every intro that I ever had was like... that's uh, That was fantastic. Do you get lackadaisical ones? I feel like that is sort of a residual yeah. thing we're still doing. I think the 90s started that, and it's kind of never really gone away. The 80s were the end of showbiz. Yeah. And the 90s were the end tied to that which i enjoyed a lot we all enjoyed at the time but i'm a yeah, little bit Nirvana. bored yeah exactly sure. i'm doing an intro here this is why i'm introducing a comedian like we do in show business um but i and at this point i'm a little bit bored of everybody being a little bit bored yeah yeah it is uh i'm bringing I, back the razzmatazz you're satiated by boredom <laughs> um i i no, i just i first off um, even just getting my name correct is is. Uh, I've been beating myself up about that ever it, since. It, I I did it right on the intro last time you were here, and I fucked it up on the outro. Oh really? I cut it out I, in post. Oh, I, I don't remember. You corrected me. Oh, huh. I well, felt so badly. Oh no, no, no. But I always with my podcast, I always butcher, and because I I have academics on with these long titles and stuff that I. Um, that I'm like intimidated just reading, mm-hmm. and I always something about intros. I always screw. So no, I was just I was admiring. Uh, Thank your, you. And that's uh, that's not. I'm not being sarcastic at all. That was just fantastic. All downhill from here. That's typically <laughs> the way this goes. I, I forget if I asked this, this last time. Well, this is why the listener tunes oh, into your show. Oh. Mike just crushes those intros, yeah. and then they just best opening the- <laughs> best opening credits in the game. Um, how do you find the people that are on your podcast? So you go around and your thing is that you, uh, you when you're touring, you'll just say, well, I'm going to be in this city. What's the local university? Mm-hmm. And you obviously find things that are interesting to you. And you don't just say, give me like the geology guy so we can teach me, teach me about sediment. You want to find somebody who's doing yeah. something innovative outside of the box. How do you find yeah. them? How do you contact them? I mean, once in a while I get some uh, really uh, geology, uh, you know, like something that wouldn't normally be a part of my which is normally like life science stuff, like biology, behavioral economics, um, stuff, psychology, stuff that applies to people's day to day, and animal behavior uh, as as well, which is just like a nice objective view of life for people. And I find people by, I mean, it's easier now because I have, uh, I think I just released episode two hundred, and so I have a. a, a 
a large resource of past guests that I can ask for other guests in certain areas. And that makes my life much easier. When I first started the podcast, academics were like, who's this comedian reaching out to me? Are we going to get Sasha Baron Cohn here? Or, you know, they didn't think I was going to be taking their work seriously or whatever. So that was challenging. But yeah, I can, I can usually, if, um, if I don't have, uh, good guest suggestions. I just go to a university page. I look at um, their research page and usually they're promoting certain research, some publications. Someone just got uh, something printed in the New York Times or something like that that they're very proud of and excited about. And it's kind of in the ballpark of the things that I talk about. And I'll reach out to that person. And usually that person's kind of in the in the middle of doing a lot of media oh, uh, or see. more media than usual anyway. And yeah. so they're just kind of up for it because yeah, they not, have a new yeah. thing that they're excited about. You're not just knocking on the door of the faculty lounge and yeah, seeing who yeah, happens yeah. to be at the, the but coffee maker. It's the, it's the biggest pain in the butt. With my new show, Stand Up Science, I have two scientists. So each city, I think we have 30 to 40 cities booked. In each city, I have two scientists and a different comic, a second comic booked on each show. So it goes, I host, and then an academic gives a talk, and then a comedy set, and then an academic talk, and then all four of us doing a panel at the end. Well, it's a nightmare to book. Um, And so I have to get two scientists in every city and a comic uh, as well. The comic's not that bad because comics are desperate for any uh any and all work so that's that's a little yeah. bit easier yeah you got a but full room they'll be there two academics in every city is a it's a nightmare um i bit off a little more than i can chew but it, it's coming together it's most of my job right now is just sending emails to scientists yeah finding scientists and well then, i'm glad that it's working out for you because last time i saw you you were kind of doing the trial run for this yeah and what you're doing is and i'm sure i said this last time it's exciting to me as somebody who's been in some exceptionally dumb comedy rooms it's inspirational to me that there's that someone is finding a market for stuff that is funny and cerebral at the same time and i get to perform in front of the smartest audiences imaginable because that's the demographic that i'm targeting with all of my marketing and everything and and the type of people that want to see a science comedy show are the type of people that are just very attentive and inquisitive and enthusiastic Mm -hmm. and the best audiences anyone could perform for so yeah, they're probably down for observational humor yes <laughs> <laughs> they're probably pretty observational in in their own way right right so what is the last thing that you well explain to me again what your relationship to science is i gather for you it's more than a hobby or an interest you see it as a means of understanding existence in your own existence oh yeah absolutely i i mean i was raised uh i was raised in a uh, i had a religious upbringing a a pretty strict religious upbringing actually it wasn't any stricter than most people's i'm sure but what um, are you uh, catholic yeah same here we probably have the same stuff so it was uh you know early on i was like kind of angsty about that and very very much like this isn't a real thing this is grown up version of santa claus blah 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 and very angry with people and then i thought um once i started learning more about evolution i was like oh i don't know how evolution works as well as i thought either and it turns out that it's not just like some fun belief system it makes some interesting predictions about life and tells us all of these insights like uh one thing i've been thinking a lot about lately there's always examples like this that 
that get in my mind and and it it just uh, has me thinking about it for weeks at a time. So there's these sea turtles that swim from the west coast of Africa to the east coast of South America to lay their eggs. And so scientists were kind of scratching their heads. Why would you swim all the way across the ocean? It's this tremendous undertaking and there's sharks and predators and everything else. And, and uh, Surely there's another shore. Sure. Yeah. Why not? This purpose. Why not just stay where you were? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and what they figured out was during Pangaea, all that land was together. And at first, it was there was a river there. No. And swimming across that river must have had some evolutionary benefit. Probably it, uh, you lay the eggs across the river, and there's not as many predators there. Whatever the benefit was, it was enough to for the trait to evolve mm-hmm. to have them swim that distance and lay those eggs and then each generation that river got a few yards wider so it wasn't that much more and this is the way they've always done it and this is the way they've (laughs) always done it why question it and then you give that some hundreds of thousands of years and now you have an ocean but it's not hundreds of thousands that's that was my when's when's pangea millions of years ago hundreds of millions of years ago isn't it I mean, yeah. dinosaurs weren't alive during Pangaea. We were already split up into right. our respective continents. So yeah. you're talking about animals that have to be older than dinosaurs. Um. Well, turtles may be... Uh, well, I don't know. Are, that, are, I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, I pretty maybe. much have a six-year-old child who watches Octonauts, so I, I know. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm just regurgitating yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that... Uh, I mean, maybe this is just complete nonsense <laughs> that I'm... It's fun either way. It is fun either way, but but the the um, I guess the the main point of it is mm-hmm. is there are all of these holdovers like mm-hmm. wisdom teeth and stuff like that. But I think that there's all of these psychological holdovers right. that we that we have that are no longer like the landscape changes very quickly. Like uh, in in terms of like what is a man? You know, when I when I was a when I was a young kid growing up in small town Wisconsin, a man was like the stereotypical like Rambo character on TV or something like that. And that's changed very quickly just in my lifetime alone. And these are kind of, if you ask me, kind of evolutionary leftovers of like there probably was time, plenty of times in history when being like physically dominant was a pretty important thing and now oh yeah yeah i think he's coming pretty handy to be a man yeah and but now like like, i I got here just in time i know (laughs) manliness is like just if you want to be really manly now it's just like for fun it's just like as a sport or a hobby that's right you can like uh box Mm -hmm. or well the perfect emblem hunting or something uh, the perfect emblem of that has to be the the return of the the lumberjack beard, which almost instantaneously when it mainstream became this incredibly manicured, oiled, who's trimming your beard. So it's like this really like wussified version yeah. of the ultimate emblem of manhood, which is a Jason Momoa beard. Right, 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 right. You know, it's like, yeah. again, it's like putting air quotes on being a man when you had that beard. Yeah, yeah. It's like now, like I live in Portland and the manliest men there are like, you know, gay lumberjacks or whatever uh, which is that's that's different than than when i was growing up for yeah, sure right yeah well i think everything there's evolution um my kid talks about evolution all the time because they'll you know watches like jurassic park and even some of the 
toy shows he watches talk about evolution and um he's thinking about adaptation mm-hmm. most of the time when he because he's talking about how he has evolved since last week yeah, yeah and evolution is as we all know a painstaking process but th- i mean the nature of human existence for the vast majority of people on the planet has been turned on its head in the last 100 years yes. Ev- evolution doesn't stand a ghost of a chance against that, obviously. No, not at all. I mean, we we are able to manipulate our environment, and our environment is changing so quickly. Still. And, mm-hmm. and it has changed so quickly and is changing still and perhaps even more rapidly. And will probably continue to only increase and get faster. And these are things that we just don't have. Uh, we can't change bio- biologically. We cannot evolve that fast because it does typically take a hundred thousand years or so for for a good i mean lactose tolerance took uh took about eight thousand years okay. to really take off and God, that's really one that's huh? record speed yeah uh, milk must have really <laughs> scratched the edge <laughs> yeah well this uh um the uh the mongols under genghis khan they they were lactose tolerant and they were outnumbered 10 to 1 and the um, uh, the the armies they were against were not lactose tolerant, and so they had to use all of their cavalry for just carting a bunch of food with them. And the Mongols could ride their food, and they were milking their horses and and subsiding on milk and cheese, and and that was enough of an advantage to uh, help them win and take over and that's probably a big part of why we're lactose tolerant today and so things can take off really quickly and there's these punctuated equilibriums they talk about in in evolution so rather than things just slowly inching um toward uh change upward downward there's no really traction there tends to be these like long plateaus of no change and then a really sharp jump in a change. Yeah. So well, all who of a sudden knows a full, all of a this is like, like an X-Men <clears throat> sort of idea, you know? Well, I think every now and again, we're, we're just cruising along and then there's like the eye of a needle that humanity needs to fit through and most of us don't make it. And, right. you know, it's not impossible to imagine, for example, that uh, climate change and holes in the ozone layer make it so that like vast swaths of humankind are really, really prone to skin cancers. Yeah. And for some weird reason, some people are way more tolerant to that than others. And just in the blink of an eye... Mm-hmm. In a few generations. Yeah, and the difference will be... If you're living through it, it's <coughs> yeah. rough. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> and the difference will be these things have happened many, many times in the past, yeah. but they don't matter to us because in a certain sense, history is written by the the victors. Right. We only know the people who made it through. So did you know there used to be people with three arms? Who really cares? The difference this time is that we'll have a record of this. There was a before and after for humankind and whatever the next seismic sea change is. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, who knows what the future will lead if we start, if, if we start genetically engineering babies and, and whatnot. We, I mean, it, it starts slow with you don't want your baby to have a defect. Mm-hmm. If, and then, so if you can weed that out, any, any parent is going to opt for that. Yeah. But then, you know, once you're doing that, uh, you know, maybe make them a little bit this way or a little bit that way as well and give them <laughs> a little bit of an advantage. And it's easy to see how that can uh, run away. Yeah. Uh, Right. as well and so there's this interesting thing where humans seem to be almost breaking free of some of the usual evolution evolutionary controls and uh and we are able to 
kind of outwit it a little bit. I mean, just in terms of how long we're able to live and everything else. I, I mean, there are things like like cancer, for example, Alzheimer's, all these diseases of old age that evolution didn't get a chance to weed out because we already reproduced. So yeah, by, nature doesn't give a fuck about what happens to you after. Yeah, you after you have kids, yeah. it's kind of it spits you out. And, and nature may have a point <laughs> that after we've had kids, we've sort of outlived our usefulness, and maybe we should make way for the next generation. But that's obviously not going to happen. But here we are yeah. with our medical knowledge mm-hmm. and and current technology. I got two kids, and I'm where not going we're anywhere. able to do what evo- what evolution kind of could or should be doing for people or what, what we'd hope for it to be doing right. for us, which is um, weeding out some of these uh, some of these defects and some of these vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And so we might be able to um, continue to change that in the future. There are going to be strange things, like just in terms of why we get car sickness, uh, because there is... Oh, 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 okay, please go ahead. Just, just because uh, we didn't evolve in areas with like where we are sitting and rolling capsules. These yeah. uh, you have your inner ear, your kind of gyrosphere, your sense of balance, telling you that you're moving, and you're in the passenger seat reading a book or looking at the dash, something stationary. Your eyes are saying you're not moving, mm-hmm. and there's these these mismatched signals going to kind of there must be some sort of a um, regu- regulator, supervisor, part of the brain that's going like, "Hey, why is this? Why is this area saying I'm moving? Why is this other area saying I'm not moving?" Yeah, and then it assumes that you must have, perhaps you ate poison. You're having some neurotoxin poisoning, and so what you want to do is ready your system to throw up to get rid of that. And there is no, there's nothing to be like, I- I'm just in a car. You know, I'm fine. There, there is. You can't rationalize. Yeah, you, you can't reason with that you, there, system. You, you can't reason with your fat cells that that used to be our refrigerator where we packed away energy because there were days when you weren't going to have food to eat and you needed to store that energy. Now we have refrigerators, we have grocery stores, we have restaurants, and this is a completely different environment than the one that we evolved all of these energy storing systems for and now we have this major obesity epidemic which is uh i mean really great problems to have because it used to be starvation uh was was the thing killing off many of us and now um obesity is a thing is is a is a thing that's um causing a lot of heart disease and all of that but um but there is there's nothing to signal to the fat cells to be like, hey, you actually don't need to, uh, you don't need to work that hard. I have food in the fridge. Yeah, it'll be fine. Just let it go. Yeah, just gonna poop this one out if it's okay with you, fat cells. Well, supposedly they're working on um, the uh, the car sickness thing, and they, there might be some sort of simple fix, which mm. escapes me at the moment because they're going to have to. And I, the reason why I got excited when you brought that up, I've been pondering the subject since I was a kid. I've always sort of known. I never was the flying car guy. I was always the self-driving car guy. Yeah. And I've given a lot of thought to how the cabin will evolve when we don't have to orient ourselves to steer and control the vehicle. Yeah, like a hospital bed is what I want in my I, – like yeah. with the reclining. What, what do you want? See, I'm always picturing that what we basically get is – I guess it's not all that different from like a very small you know, camper van or attachment or something yeah. like that where we'd all have a classic mom van 
that would be like um, two uh, two sofas facing each other with like a you know maybe a table or something in the middle. So it's going to be a cup holder, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming I would have said when I was a kid a TV screen. I don't know how important that is anymore, but I've always seen that as the major hiccup in all of this is that I'm particularly prone to car sickness and what good is right. all of that if I'm just going to get car sick and right. I end up going you know what I'm just going to sit in the driver's seat anyway that's not what I want and supposedly they think that there's some simple fix because I actually think that will be an impediment to it will be yeah to really pimping out self-driving cars yeah people are just throwing up in them (laughs) (laughs) comes equipped with a premier vomitorium yeah 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 you want this self-driving uh rv though that's that's what your vision is i i figure it's just like can't you just have little little beds in a capsule with wheels on them because you could sleep first that's the funny thing is you can sleep in a car and you would think that that would be impossible for your brain to wrap its head around yeah that you're moving and sleeping, sleeping at the same time and that one everybody can sleep almost everybody can like sleep you certainly cars. can't be like falling off of your bed or something and sleeping at the same time right you're waking up in the middle of that yeah, yeah. that's an interesting point and you don't have to be like cruising at a pretty consistent sp- you can be in stop and go traffic and fall asleep just fine yeah yeah that's my dream is this uh i don't get to san francisco as often as i'd like to Um, is just getting the kids up and putting them in the car at two in the morning and going right back to sleep and waking up with our car in San Francisco. Yeah. I I don't think... It's modest as far as space aid dreams go. I don't dream of space. Yeah. Well, the the flying car thing is rather silly. I mean, don't you think if there was actual flying cars, people would be like... Remember before there was flying cars when we had this wonderful view of the sky and, mm. and, and say the whatnot. same thing about electrical poles though. Yeah, well, maybe they'll put them underground. I I always I, I think that there's I think there is a way to put them underground and have less um, energy loss as well. It would just take a major infrastructure change and yeah. would, would co- take some upfront money but uh, there's a lot of but, bipartisan support for that and it's the least sexy thing you can talk it's like saying we're going to fix up the dams just there it's is not cool at all uh, but Regard- how regardless- cool is it if you have a better view of of uh i i mean i think that it, it, you know my my hometown a little little town outside of lacrosse wisconsin on the border of minnesota and iowa used to be so it's on the mississippi and it has this beautiful view and that used to be where like the lumber mill and all these factories and whatnot were on the river and all these like crappy houses were on the river. People just completely underappreciated what they had and and uh and the scenic views. And I think maybe we'll go the same way with um uh, with power lines. Maybe. People can't even get excited about um my uh my one is the um the Keeping the night sky dark. I forget. There's a phrase that people use for it. Uh, light pollution. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm 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 a weirdo. Like I sleep with a eye mask on and shit like that. It's uh, you know you just read a million articles and God knows why three of them really stick with you. And I'm like, right, I'm not sleeping properly because it's not properly dark and somewhere deep inside my body knows it and yeah. I need this thing. Yeah. And now now I need it and I don't know if I need it. I've just convinced myself that I that I need it. Much of life is about finding the placebo that works for you. Isn't it, though? It is. I know. I keep staring at my vitamins, and I just don't know if I can care enough to go back. Well, you just have to kind of believe it. I know. <laughs> you know? I know. And, and even, even when people know their placebos, they still work. It's it, it incredible. It still works, yeah. Placebo's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you know the, uh, the the there's this heart surgery thing that they did where there was some valve that they were having 
trouble with uh, with the replacement, and they didn't know if um, if if the surgery was causing more damage than good. And so they did they did a study. They had three groups. One group they didn't do the surgery. Another group they did do the surgery, and the third group they opened them up but didn't do the surgery and didn't tell them that. And the group that they opened up and didn't do the surgery did the best because this was very believable. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you wouldn't cut me open for, <laughs> for nothing. That would be psychotic. That would be psychotic. And science is psychotic sometimes. Mm-hmm. And But it was enough to end. But at the same time, they didn't mess around with their heart and yeah. tinker with it. So there was no healing going on. Right. And... Uh, <coughs> And and so uh, and then their their body just naturally healed themselves more because of the placebo effect. That yeah. should that should be whatever the placebo effect is. Whatever whatever uh, neurologic mechanisms are taking place. If we figured that out, if there was a drug that you could take that triggered the placebo <laughs> effect, yeah. that isn't an actual placebo. No, yeah, a real but, drug that makes the placebo <laughs> click in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, I, I love. Well, two things. First of all, what you were just saying reminded me of this thing. I believe it's true. You and I were saying we just kind of read random shit and take it sure. on faith um, that people get frustrated when they fly on planes and then they uh, wait too long for their luggage at baggage claim. So what some airports do is they purposely make the walk from the plane to baggage claim much longer. Ah. They'll just create like a, a route that takes longer. Ah. So when people get there, their bags are coming out. And they that prefer that. Is snaky. I love it. <laughs> I like that. There, there is all these interesting social engineering. I mean, some yeah. of them, some of them make you upset when you hear about them. Like grocery stores, for example, have have everyone go through the produce section first. Oh, I don't mind so that. So that you're making all these healthy choices, but then when you get to the cereal aisle, psychologically, you're like, well, I made a bunch of healthy choices and I got the apples, so now I can treat myself with the frosted. Yeah. Oh, the- I heard a, a less evil version of it which is just that um they're playing to our primal sense that we want to eat fresh food and when we enter through things that are like fresh and alive it just gives us this idea that on an animal level this is a place that has food that's healthy you know like not poisonous it hasn't turned and yeah. and once you're kind of in that fresh and misty you know arugula kind of vibe sure. then you just kind of go with it by the time you get to the the chicken stock and you know and what have you i see yeah yeah i mean i i don't mind that so much no no but, no that's yeah it's a little bit more but the idea that they they kind of uh have it worked out where where they're like oh i've i've made great choices and now i can now i can reward myself a little bit with mm-hmm. these because uh, then they sell you all the garbage afterward and yeah. it doesn't make sense to have cold stuff in your cart for longer that's you true. would think that would be at the very end yes logically mm-hmm. but because of this psychological thing and i mean most grocery store owners <coughs> don't know any of this stuff it's just something that that they stumbled across and then at the end uh, right before you check out they have all of the can- uh, like when you've made all of those decisions and now you're fatigued and and you're weak. They've worn you down. You've seen ten thousand logos, gossip magazines, and candy bars. Here's here's some garbage for you. And uh, and and so I I don't uh, I don't like that kind of stuff. And and trying to stay at, trying to get the general population informed mm-hmm. about stuff like that to stay ahead of what marketers are doing yeah. is is a challenge. You should write the book. Here's what they're doing to you. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I'm sure someone has, but I'm not aware yeah. of it, which means they did market it very well. Like, yeah. for example, yeah. the 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 obvious fact that um, the color red sells fast food. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, pro- professional and college sports teams nowadays feel like they can't sell jerseys unless there's a lot of black in it. So all these there used to be all these different wild color schemes, and now it tends to be like 85% black and just a little bit of the maroon or the whatever that's traditionally been because people just respond to that and they'll buy the jerseys. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Think of a fast food place that is not red. They've clearly decided that is the thing that will make you decide that this piece of shit burger was actually good. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, you sent me a extended uh, quote that I'm kind of still wrapping my brain around. I'd like to read this back to you. Um, one of my favorite pet theories is I believe modern humans are psychologically allergic to life. Yeah. I mean, I could go on, but you wrote it, so you, you so, can take sure. it from there. Sure. So um, st- start with my my small understanding of how an allergy works, but I, I think it's just enough to take the metaphor further. So an allergy is basically in our in our uh, in our past environment, our ancestors environment. There was never any amount of cleaning and kind of disinfecting that could be done to completely free the environment of of uh, uh, bacterial threats and parasites and that sort of thing, um, and and so our immune system is set up to defend against, let's say, as an arbitrary number, say ten potential bacterial threats uh, a day, um, and then all of a sudden with our Modern technology, we're able to have things like Lysol and current sterilization practices, and we have this understanding of of how diseases are are passed and and all of this medical knowledge. And so now, all of a sudden, for the first time in our evolutionary history, we only have say one threat a day. And so something happens because your immune system is meant to take on ten threats a day, and so. Uh, so there's again some sort of a regular uh, regulatory mechanism in there that's saying why are you only picking up on one threat a day when there's always ten threats a day? That's what it's built for. So there must be the, the sensing the sensor must be off, and so it makes the whatever's sensing the threats more sensitive until it does start perceiving ten threats a day, uh-huh. and so now all of a sudden. It goes, oh, dander or peanuts. Maybe that's a threat. And then triggers, and then when you are exposed to it, it triggers the immune response and the reaction to it. And the reaction with the absence of an actual threat um, it is what causes the inflammation. And the threat itself is the reaction to a false threat. So it's just a false alarm. That and and the and that's what an allergic reaction is, and it causes all this inflammation, makes it hard to breathe, and everything else. So my kid can't bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to school because everybody else is cleaning their house too much, basically. Because I'm sure not. Yeah, yeah. So and and this is, I mean, you meet people that have a lot of allergies, and they're usually like kind of uh, born in a bubble, sort of overprotected people. And it's funny how often hypersensitive. Yeah. In human psychology, people have a way of manifesting the thing that they fear the most. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's just one example. Not to not to change the subject. No, no. So you. So. Yeah. So the idea is, is that in our past environment, 
there was, say, uh, say 10 actual threats of you had potential tribes around to go to war with. You had lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. You had all of these social threats happening where where you're having to compete with other people in your tribe for resources, mates, whatever. And and this was something where the stress response system what came in really handy for these acute stressors. There's a great book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by one of my favorite scientists, Robert Sapolsky. And the idea is is that these uh, uh, the reason why a zebra doesn't get ulcer, what happens when a when a lion chases a zebra is the same thing happens in both the lion and the zebra because the same thing happens in basically every mammal when a stress response system um, starts. It sets off this cortisol and releases this hormone cascade of of uh, what it does is it delegates energy. So all of these. All these muscles, uh, so let's delegate all the energy to muscles and forget about the digestion right now and like sex drive, this is no time for a boner. And the immune system, you can shut that down. Uh, Long-term memory, any like long-term building projects uh, can be shut off because you just need to get the hell out of there and live to see another day. And then when they get away, that zebra goes back to eating grass that has this parasympathetic that's the opposite of the stress response, dials everything back, and the digestion starts again, and then you can replenish that energy. And what happens in in humans is that same response, but we don't ever dial it down because we don't actually have an, a perceivable a short, acute, perceivable threat like that. Like the the yeah. stress response is r- a really good, healthy response mm-hmm. when you're on when you actually are like running for your life, or or when you are like on a roller coaster or something like that, yeah. and scared out of your mind for a minute. That's exactly what the stress response was built to do. What it's not built for are these long term, uh, um, uh, these long chronic stressors. Which is because now we can think so far into the future that we're mm-hmm. thinking about our four hundred one k and our diversified portfolio and whatnot. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so you're chronically stressed all of the time, mm-hmm. and and that's causing all sorts of inflammation and and everything else. And so the idea is basically that we are because we aren't actually our lives aren't being threatened. People are. Perceiving the, the the brain is scanning for actual threats, and so people just continue to perceive more and more threats, even though this is the safest the world has ever been. So the safer the world gets, yeah. the more this is actually going to happen. So mm-hmm. this is the least, the, despite everyone's apocalyptic views, or if you turn on the 24-7 news, you'd think the world is coming to an end, and everyone has always been talking about the world coming to, the, to an end through... Through human history, this is all gonna die. We're all gonna die any day now. Yes, and least amount of wars, least amount of plagues and diseases. I mean, people are healthy. When was the last they time have, we had a good plague? Yeah, healthy, more than enough food to eat. Obviously, yeah, that's that's blatantly obvious, right? Sustained we have too peace. much food to eat. Yeah, we throw we throw away half the food that we make, and we're still eating far too much. We have 
We have too many things, <laughs> right? For the most part, comfort. You know, nobody need be cold or too hot or whatever, unless they kind of want to be. The vast majority of the population. You are really, you're, you're, you're speaking my language here. And now we're having things like we're worried about things like microaggressions, which are like just just in terms of that word. It's like, well, a, a microaggression is by its very nature not too bad. Not as bad as a regular old aggression. Yeah. Which, which, right. Which, and I mean, I'm sure there was like some people hurt by some passive aggressiveness in our ancestors' past. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think it was on on the forefront of of their mind. I, right. I, if I if I referred to a group of women as you guys, <laughs> they probably bounced back from that a little better than your average college sophomore would. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, and this is fascinating, you know, because I had a, a sustained issue uh and it's it wasn't real, but it was real because it was real to me, right. and I've come to understand it. I, I mean, I went so far as to go to a neurologist because I was like, I'm just not clicking, I'm not retaining stuff, my brain is not working the way it's supposed to. And the doctor told me half people I see have brain cancer, and half people I see are just stressed out and are kind of overworked. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet that you know you're in the second category of that. <clears throat> and I've done enough homework because when you really can't function uh, the way that you're used to functioning on a day-to-day basis for Mm. months at a certain point you do start going into the wormhole and and cortisol comes up all the time and that makes perfect sense is you're having a stress response but you're never going to get away from the lion you're never going to get to this he's never going to catch one of you which means that he's good and the rest of you are safe right now when you have generalized anxieties right those of their nature are not going to go away and if that's the way that you're responding to it you've got a real problem and you need to figure out what your what your prairie grass is right and this is uh this is what um i mean a panic attack is is actually the absence of something to panic about which which something triggers it some mm-hmm. something just because things get triggered through the day just like just like I might think of a song out of out of the blue out of nowhere I've been saying, panic can yeah. be triggered right. in that exact same way and then that that re- that releases that stress response which does all sorts of physiological things like maybe makes you sweat a little bit in your palms and then there's another part of your brain that's that's picking up on your your kind of doing your physical sensory detection stuff and it's going why are our palms sweaty are we under uh, are we in a stressful situation right now and then it goes to that initial part of the brain like hey i think we're in a stressful situation right now and then that initial part of the brain's like i knew it yeah and releases more of a stress response that's a feedback loop and it's this feedback loop and there it's because there is an absence of uh, of an actual something to actual focus on to be like oh there's the threat there's actually this um this guy at a san diego i like bs ramachandran um wrote he's written a few uh, i can't remember the name of a couple of his books but they're great but he i remember in one of his one of his books he was talking about how what some people with that suffer from panic attacks what they could maybe do is this hasn't been tested, but is load up like a horror movie on their phone mm-hmm. and have it just on the background at all times and ready to press play. So when they have a panic attack, they can press play, watch that scary scene in the horror movie, which will go into the non-conscious brain and be like, oh, this is the threat yeah. right now. I'll give and you having, something to panic about. 
Yeah, right. and I think that that's that's what we are going to need to figure out how to do mm-hmm. is give people short, like acute stressors that are in this kind of controlled environment. I think this is a lot of what exercise does, and a lot of what um, say like I I go uh, rock climbing, for example, or if you. If, if you see like you know those ski jumpers, I'm not telling everyone to go ski ski jumping, but someone's flying through the air yeah. for hundreds. Of, no, wait till you have like, a panic attack, then go do it. <laughs> well, the point <laughs> is, is that person is not worried about like, did I leave my oven on, or <laughs> or their their 401k, or if if what college their kids are going to get into. They are in the moment. They're in these. These flow states, which is this, you know, it's it's challenging enough. It's not too challenging. They have experience doing this. It's not overly challenging, but it's challenging enough to keep them hyper-focused on it and keep them uh, distracted. I think that we're going to need to figure out some things like that um, to... Uh, to, to trigger that acute stressor so that we don't have the chronic stress response. So pain, pain kind of works in the same way. If you have a chronic amount of pain or discomfort, um, you, can, you can use a, a short, uh, so, so short and long pain ultimately are received in the same part of the brain. And so if you have, like say, a mosquito bite, and then you go and you scratch it, that scratch it, it can't it can't feel both the chronic and the acute pain at the same time so that scratch relieves it for a little while uh. um because it inhibits <laughs> the 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 chronic discomfort part yeah. of it these and are I, biohacks really yeah so i think that we're going to need some sort of biohacks mm-hmm. for uh for how safe our our modern world is because now yeah, now we're all a bunch of kind of outrage junkies looking for to validate our. I I took I had to take Twitter off my phone because I'd find myself scrolling. I I would go on Twitter mm-hmm. and I would and I would look through and I'd be like, yep. okay, here here's some funny things from from comedians or whatever. Oh, cute animal pictures that uh-huh. brightened my day. But that's not enough. But it wasn't enough until yeah. I finally saw whatever political thing and the president said what? Oh my yep. god. I know. And I just I needed it. Like it, and then and then I could log off. Like I needed that. I know outrage. the feeling. I, I, I over the holidays I muted everybody but Emo Phillips. <laughs> and I'm doing great. <laughs> That's very smart. A couple yeah. sports writers and Emo Phillips, and yeah. my Twitter feed has never been happier. And, oh, people, and people can still get at me, which I don't have any problem with that. I enjoy when people give me feedback on what yeah. I do, or people know stuff I'm interested in, so they send it my way. I don't get outrage from the ats. It's like that dumb timeline. I like the cute emergencies type of stuff, uh-huh. the animal yeah. the animal stuff. Too. Well, it's funny what you say about the mechanism of maybe using watching horror movies to, you know, what, what you were saying earlier, because I'm under the impression, again, something I read at some point, that the existence of horror movies in the first place is because we have this ability to be terrified that mm-hmm. we, when you have potential, it wants to be used and exercised at yeah. some point or another. Horror movies and roller coasters that we have to artificially scare the fuck out of ourselves. In the in the case of horror movies, I think there is something to be said for we all have nightmares, yeah. literal and metaphorical. But in this case, I'm really talking about literal. And I think that there is something very cathartic about 
you know, when you have a bad dream, you never see the boogeyman. You never yeah. really see the face of it, or you, not very often. And with the horror movie, you have the knock in the darkness, and sooner or later, you do get to face it. So maybe and that's, it yeah. ends <coughs> as well. Right, the roller coaster ride ends. Right. The horror movie ends. Mm-hmm. Isn't it an interesting thing? I was thinking about this. I haven't seen a whole lot of horror. I like horror. I've gotten really soft to it. I used to have the muscles for it, and now really mild stuff scares me more than it used to mm. because I've stopped watching it because my wife is like, why the fuck would I watch something that scares me? Which is totally, it. is it my imagination? I haven't seen a lot of horror recently, but I feel like for the longest time, almost always at the end of the horror movie, the scary thing was shut down and like peace and sanity were restored. And now it's essentially a given that it'll seem like that at the end and then- the very last thing is, no, 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 no. It's just as bad, if not worse. You're all totally <laughs> fucked. And that's sort of an interesting cultural change. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just, it's just the, natu- you know, the nature of, you know, heavy metal has to get heavier and heavier. Horror had to get scarier and scarier. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't know if that, like I said, I thought that the horror movie um, solution was, like, interesting. It, as far as I know, it hasn't actually been tested. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the solution is because because it does seem like, Maybe feeding in into the non-conscious world the idea that there's these scary things out there might not be helpful right. for everyone as well. Certainly, there's people that have a hard time sleeping after after watching a horror movie. But I think that if you're just experiencing chronic uh, chronic stress about, say, work all of the time, you need something else mm-hmm. to to trigger like uh i think this is like kind of why acupuncture works is because it's just like uh i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna poke you and cause this little sharp pain really quick right here see and now now that back problem doesn't (laughs) it doesn't hurt so bad for the moment and i think we need some sort of psychological acupuncture yeah you Um, need acute contained relatively brief events that afterwards, there's also some clear, yeah. Like now we get off the roller coaster ride and everything's and fine. We're just gonna go you're get a churro. In a, you're now. in a park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that reminds me of this other thing where I've been led to believe um, that we all sort of have this psychological and emotional equilibrium that we find our way to, and uh, this is the ultimate. I read this one time, probably not true thing, that supposedly they talked to a bunch of people who lost limbs and a bunch of people who won the lottery. Yeah, the hedonic treadmill stuff. Okay, so you maybe know more about it than I do, and that essentially when things are going great in your life, you yeah. will they will make you happy, but even if the great things, for example, if you, you know... M- start making more money and don't stop making more money, you will settle back into baseline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's, it ties in exactly to what you're talking about, where if you remove every real problem from people's lives, not to say that we don't have problems, but you know what I mean? We're going to have to come up with some pretty twisted shit to find our way back to our baseline. Yeah. Because you, I mean, if you, it's like I quit smoking cigarettes and quit drinking, and those were two really major problems in my life. And then I quit doing those. Did you really, or are you just using that as an no, example? No, I did. Okay, yeah. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, lots of other of these kind of periphery problems that I never really thought about popped up and became 
Uh, like these are now on the top of the priority list. And then you check those off mm-hmm. and then five more problems. But but the problems become more nuanced. You know, they're they're not as bad. They're not as severe and you get older and you get better at managing them. But every every single problem that you take off, there's still going to be like, okay, I'm still going to have to deal with these issues. There's still going to be this kind of hedonic treadmill, uh, they call it, of of whatever baseline is. And, um, and so I don't, I have no idea what the solution is to that. I just think that people being aware of it might help people give a little bit of pause yes. and be like, Oh, it, let's put this in perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm not, ac- this is not an actual life or death situation that I'm going through right now. I'm just maybe going to be 10 minutes late to work. Yeah, 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 right. I, 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 yeah, then and, and let's figure out where that ranks in terms of of serious problems. And I've heard I've never had a panic attack, thank goodness, but I don't I don't Me think either. I I don't think I have, but the, the Actually I had one once. The first cut I'm told is the deepest because you think the I mean I I can definitely say having a bad time on mushrooms, psychedelics. The first time you think the world is ending or whatever the hell you think is happening, and the second time you go, oh, fuck, I'm having a bad trip. And it has a lot less power, despite the fact that the exact same thing objectively is happening to you. I have to wrap up. I want to ask you one really big uh, question. Do you feel like um, thinking about all these things and learning all these things and trying really to apply them to your life that they have affected and improved your baseline? Like, can you improve the human condition with knowledge is my question, I guess. I think so. I think that, uh, I think that mindfulness training, I think this is all part of mindfulness. And I think that, uh, that helps a lot. And I think that mindfulness can create just a little bit of a space and a little bit of separation, uh, and a little, uh, you can kind of be the observer and pull back a little bit when you're, in the car freaking out and when you're in um uh, when you're experiencing uh career panic or whatever it might be um i i think it absolutely helps to know about uh, some of these things yeah so the stand up science live tour is uh, you're closer to the beginning than the end of this thing you're going all over yep. the place yeah san diego los angeles indianapolis pittsburgh columbus cleveland and uh, Chicago, Lansing, Kalamazoo, Royal Oak, Madison, Milwaukee, Des Moines, Iowa City, Minneapolis, Providence, Boston, Newmarket, Portland, Harrisburg, Richmond, Norfolk, Raleigh, Greensboro, Asheville, Oak Ridge, Nashville, and adding lots more dates soon. I feel like that's a song that kids would sing in the backseat of a car. <laughs> <laughs> more dates. That's so good. I'm so happy oh, for you. Oh, yeah. We're adding lots, lots more dates soon. All, all indicators so far are that this show is looking to kind of sell out everywhere or very close to it that's awesome so. I'm glad to hear that and then you'll do the TV show and all that that's going to be excellent um, you're at Shane Comedy yeah um, and uh, not that you should be checking Twitter. your Twitter but <laughs> not that you do very often I know you do once and, a day yeah Shane Moss M-A-U-S-S dot com and I have my documentary Psychonautics a comics exploration of psychedelics comes out March 5th on Amazon and is available for pre-order on Amazon very soon it was supposed to be out already, and some I, sort I was of under thing the happened impression that it preview. was. Sorry, <laughs> uh, no, no, um, it, it'll be out March fifth. The best laid plans. Thanks, buddy. See you yeah. next time. Thanks.